Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, the wisdom that you've given um, Brother Loritz. And um, thank you for this fellowship uh, that, that far too seldom occurs in our community. Father, I pray that um, this time would be a time of uh, right thinking, of holiness, godliness, understanding, good conversation, um, and the edifying and uplifting of your body. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do right now is this is just a roundtable discussion. I've got, we're four, I've got three pastors with me. I will kind of moderate a little bit. Um, but this is a time really for us to um, just kind of talk honestly about um, questions that we have in the church about race. Um, and so I'll, I have a couple questions, questions I've thought through and asked people what their questions are. Um, and so one, the number one question we have, a big question that I've, I've gotten a lot in our community is this. And before we, and before I ask this question, I want to make sure I have a little, I want to preface it with the fact of reminding you of what um, Dr. Loritz said, which is not every church necessarily is called to be a multi-ethnic church. Um, racial diversity is not an end unto itself. Um, and so with the understanding, this, this, this question is posed for those churches who are in racially diverse community, such as our own, this question, this objection has come a lot. One objection to the call for multi-ethnic churches is that we are trying to quote-unquote force integrate believers who should be able to freely attend the churches that fit their social and racial preferences. What would you say to this objection? Dr. Loritz, I'll let you go ahead and start if you have any comments on that question. <laughs> I was hoping somebody else would start on that <laughs> Well, there, there. I, I would parse that out a little bit. You know, there, there, there are there are a couple of words there that are troubling just in the just in the description of the question itself. Uh, the quote, "force integration." That's and, just a word that I've heard used. Yeah, yeah, to right, mean. right, right. I'm not saying I'm not saying the one who, but force integrate, and then uh, freely attend churches that fit their social and racial preferences. Um, that's too low of a standard. You know, again, I, I think I, I, I celebrate, um, you, you don't need to, you just need to reflect the community that you're in. Got it, not every church needs to be multi-ethnic. However, you can't deny the theology of, of what we're to be about. Uh, we have been reconciled, and so, we need to do whatever it takes in the spirit of 1 Corinthians uh, 9, becoming all things to all men that we might win some, even if it means changing how we do things in our churches that's not stuck in, in the scriptures. The only thing that is sure is the word of God. Uh, and so um, when people come with this objection, uh, I, I ask them, do you want to be culturally comfortable or do you want to be biblical? And so if you want to be culturally comfortable, I mean, for example, in our church, uh, there's, there's a tension. I mean, we have, we, we, we do music. Uh, I mean, we do Chris Tomlin stuff and all of that stuff, which is just really great. 
But we also do some other stuff that, that reflects, you know, uh, the black community and, and, and our folks there. And what we say in worship is that worship is not about you. It's not about your comfort level. And there are things that I don't like that our worship team does. It's not my genre. I don't, I don't care for it. Yet at the same time, if the words honor the Lord Jesus and they are accurate, then, it's, then that's great. So the issue is not being comfortable. The issue is not my preferences. The issue is what is right. And the issue is what does it take to reach people? And if I'm doing something a certain way that's not going to reach the people in my community, then I need to ask myself some hard questions. Why am I not willing to make those changes so that these people can engage with Jesus? Why would I not want to do that? So that's just a few ways of thinking. And again, it's not an either-or situation, but we need to question our assumptions. And sometimes our assumptions are not right. Um, I need to change. I need to change. Uh, so, I mean, I can say more about that. So you're but. saying that you, as a pastor, there are things at your church on a Sunday morning during your service, as far as your liturgy goes, that you may or may not have preferred. Yes. Did you all hear that? Yes. Absolutely. Did you hear that? The pastor give and taken with, with the actual service. I, I love that. Uh, I like also that you hit because it's not always just necessarily a racial thing. This this gets harder into the American church's problem, which is preference over worship. Um, my next, I'm going to call you a panelist, I guess. This is Lee Parker. He is uh, one of our shepherd leaders at the Church of Haynes Creek. He's also a, a very consistent face here at the downtown campus. Um, someone who's attended this church for a number of years. Uh, Lee, do you have anything to add to that? I agree with Crawford. The, the, the problem with the question lies in the question itself. Right. There, there's yeah. assumptive language in that question that's problematic. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I, when I see phrases like freely attend churches that fit social and racial preferences, the first thing that comes to my mind is we, we have this challenge as Americans where we assert self and the autonomous self above any other truth. And so when I see that phrase, the first thing that comes to my mind is that we've taken the bait culturally mm, yeah. to say that the church has to fit what I want and what I want it to look like where I can be comfortable. But the, the truth of the matter to what Crawford said earlier is that we have a different identity. Yeah. We have a, there, there's an outside truth that is above self. It's above state, it's above the ruling class, it's above all of these things, and we have to remain compliant to that truth and not freely give ourselves and our souls over to being able to freely choose what we want and what makes us comfortable. And the, 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 other, the other issue that I see in, in the question is the mere existence of churches that are not socially and racially reflective of their community. That's problematic within itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so to choose freely, to select, to go to a church like that, you're in some ways furthering the very ideology that created the problem. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's, yeah. uh, I, and just to let y'all know, I think I, I said it once, I just wanna, force integrate is a word I've heard uh, mm -hmm. just used in our community. 
Good point, Lee. I think it, it touches at our Americans' consumeristic ideals. Um, at last count, it's not 50-50. Um, and of course, there is a, um, a significant uh, Hispanic population in our, in our county as well. Um, we have great pastors like, like the late Polo Guerrero that just passed away. Um, who have served faithfully in this community, so I don't want to make it just a white-black thing. Right. Um, but at last count, the Caucasian and African-American populations in Newton County were near mirrors of one another, if, I, if I'm correct. Uh, almost a 48-49 kind of thing. Um, so if there was any multi-ethnic community per se, we would be living in it right now. Mm -hmm. um, my last panelist is uh, Pastor Gary Favors of Emmanuel Community Church. He is the teaching pastor there. Uh, the senior pastor there is uh, uh, a familiar face you saw here last year, Eric Suddeth. Um, Gary has been serving. How long have you been serving at your church, Gary? Uh, 13 years. Whoa, okay. Years. My goodness. Wow. That's great. I think I was in high school then. Um, <laughs> Gary, can you give us some wisdom? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that question? First of all, I just want to say, uh, what the doctor spoke earlier, I think he just said it all the way. I think what we're missing is sometimes that we don't see the value of the question, the, the people, the diversity, the, 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 the multi-facet of God's grace. It's not that it's being forced. Uh, we're not forced to go to the sports arena to see the Falcons or your Hawks play. You're not forced to go to your vacation spot, that's multi. You're not forced to go to your job, but there's a diversity here because you see the value, you get something fun. So what God has given us in the gospel, the value that God valued each and every one of us exactly and equally, but how that expression comes out, it speaks of a garden as it were, the multi-faceted expression, yet certain music might not be too my liking, but it doesn't mean that the music is wrong. I can appreciate it. When I uh, went to South Africa, when you worship with the Zulus, uh, that's a different worship. I can't even understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And But when I lived in the Hispanic community, that's a different expression. It's all good. It's a different expression. I can appreciate it. I think we're missing something that we just see. This is one expression of God. And no matter what the congregation, and also that word churches, I think from a leadership perspective, and uh, I think we're being more conformed to the image of society in that the church sometimes is spoken of as the black church yeah, yeah. or the Anglo church or the Hispanic church. When I read the Bible, it's just God's church. Amen. And so I understand trying to identify the people, but I think the value, we're not seeing the value that God value each and every one look at Jesus' words that I must need to go to Samaria. I must go there. He banged them, but his culture did not bang them. Yeah. So I think that's, that's not something for because you want to do it when you see right. that. Right. That's a really good point, Gary, yeah, about, uh, especially that hitting on that word free. I mean, Americans love us some freedom. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's a proper way, there's a biblical way to speak of freedom, and then there's um, I think political, social freedoms are things that we enjoy, uh, things that have been um, fought for and defended valiantly in this country for some, our enjoyment. But I think 
you're right. We don't we don't uh, complain about freely going to see the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and by the way, I want to have you all out of here by the time you can watch the Saints. Um, or maybe you don't want to watch the Saints. Might be playing in your home here in a couple weeks. But um, the next question, and if Tom, if you can go to the next one, um, this is a, a question that I kind of thought um, is, a, is a relevant issue. I can't believe it's taken us uh, this long in, in, in the midst of our conference to bring up Facebook. Um, the question goes like this. Facebook can be a wonderful tool for gospel ministry. It can also become a platform for hate and bitterness, oftentimes along political and racial lines. How can or should the church address divisive speech on social media? Robert, do you have anything you wanted to particularly add to that question? Well, I'm the guinea pig here. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> I think you have to have personal responsibility. Uh, you know, the, there is a... Um, I, I, I think social media is a, can be a great tool. It is a great tool for the gospel. It can be a great tool for ministering to people. A great way of connecting with folks and praying with folks. A great way, and it's just wonderful. It is a great tool, but it is a poor master. And uh, uh, I, I am very concerned. I I defriend people just like that. Um, I, I I think I think you need to be you need to understand that uh, when you pop off on Facebook, uh, just remember who you represent. Uh, you represent the Savior, and, uh, and you put it out there, and you say, I've, I've heard some of the people in our church, I, I've, I've read stuff that they've put out there, and I'm saying, you know, you, know you, 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 just, you, just, you just put up a barrier for people coming to the Savior. My personal view is this. Uh, one is that you should never put anything out there that defames anyone. Even, your, even the people that you disagree with. There's a fine line between critiquing someone and being slanderous. And some of us slip over that line. Be careful slandering people. Uh, you you, you got to be careful of that. Um, I, as a rule of thumb, as a rule of thumb, I do, not, I do not use social media to critique. Just a personal rule of thumb. Uh, I think I it's like a... That rule. I think it's a way of being a courageous coward. Uh, I think what you need to do if you've got an issue with someone is to do what the Bible says. Go with them privately and in person and, and deal with it that way. Uh, but, but just don't go there. Just don't go there. You know, everybody wants, social media has a way of, of appealing to our pride and uh, and everyone wants, wants, wants to know, want people to know how erudite and crisp we are in our opinions and, you know, that we, we have something valid to say, too. And I think you got to get over that. You got to get over that. And there are other means of doing stuff like that. So, I mean, that's just, that's just me. And I actually have said this kind of stuff to our congregation. I said, be, be very careful now. You don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel. If somebody goes to your page or whatever, and you put out some stuff, and you said some nasty stuff about people you disagree with, and this kind of thing, you can't retrieve that stuff. I mean, it's out there now. So my rule of thumb is that if it's not encouraging, if it's not edifying, uh, and if it's not helpful, I don't put it on there. 
That's a really good rule. I, um, I have, I think I even confessed to my church on Sunday morning that I, there's been times where I've slipped and, and been critical, um, sometimes of a, you know, a football coach or something, you know, I don't know. Well, they deserve that. Well, that's probably, yeah, that's probably <laughs> Something's a fair case. So, so whatever you said, except for sports, yeah. Um, hey, I'm telling you, man, you're dogs fans, man, you love us in football. Um, but I will say, I even slipped. I have deleted things I've put because I, because yeah. um, it just wasn't right. It wasn't uplifting. It wasn't godly, and, and I, my conscience bears that. I tell you, we've entered a we've entered a stage in, in the, the development of our country where now you can watch news and the anchors are talking about things that people tweeted. Yes. That's how much weight we put to who, what you put online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lee, as someone who lives in our community, serves in our church, what, what, do, you, what do you think about the use of social media? So, so similar to what Crawford said, the first thing that comes to mind is this is very much an area where James 1.19 should yes, reign supreme. Yes, good word. Yeah. Um, and yet we, we refer, and it's become com commonly known, that these are social media outlets, but they're not actually inherently social. Mm -mm. Like, it's not a place for discourse. It's not a place where you're sitting eye-to-eye -eye and toe-to-toe -to -toe with an actual human being and having a conversation. Um, so therefore, the first part of James 1.19 is impossible on social, social media in a way. And to be you know, quick to listen, that's discourse. And to, to jump on social media and to, to respond in hate and bitterness and all of these sorts of things, you haven't listened. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're, you're slapping in the face of James 1.19 when you act that way. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind is when, when, I, when I see people in our community and people in our churches who respond to someone who's different than they are with hate and bitterness. The first thing that comes to my mind, and I, myself being guilty of this, is that comes out of misplaced identity. Yes. Um, what Crawford was saying earlier, that someone who has seen the, the glory of the risen Savior, they have a, a new, they are a new being. Mm. And because they are a new being, they have new allegiances. Their citizenship is not in this world. And when someone responds to, with hate and bitterness and estrangement to someone who's different than they are, whether that's racially, socially, politically, it cries out to me that there's a misplaced identity. That yes. if, if that person in that moment realized who they were in Christ, they would not have responded that way. Yes. Because yes. the, the, the kingdom of God reigns supreme over our political allegiances, over our racial skin color, over our societal place. It reigns supreme over all of those things. And so when we rightly understand who we are in Christ and that we've become a new creation, hate and bitterness, especially on social media, just has no place in the life of a believer. Yeah. I love that you, pit, you pose it as a lordship issue. Yeah. Um, Who's our Lord? Who are we serving? Who's our master? Who are we reflecting upon? That is so important, especially during the election. I mean, you watch the national news, and they were talking about Georgia all the time. Because why? Because the Georgia gubernatorial race epitomized how polar opposites our culture are. We had a, had a white uh, conservative male against a, a, a black um, Democratic female. 
Um, and I don't think it, it's, it, it's sinful at all to put your political views, but what Crawford said, such a, a thin line between critique and defamation. Yeah. Um, and in those moments, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Lee, it's about lordship. This is the man I want, or woman. I want to elect governor, but this is my lord. Um, I think Georgia, of all places, this is a relevant question. Gary, do you have anything to add to that? I don't know how you all deal or, or what you see uh, social media-wise in a manual, but I'm sure that you do. Uh, yes. Um, I think that speaking the truth in love is, is the thing for Christians. I think it starts with the leadership. If the pastor leadership knows that there's someone who is saying speech that is not uh, and keeping in line with the gospel as Paul confronts Peter, uh, I think that's the, the approach to take. And as you gave the example of government race, uh, when anyone tries to make it, goes back to the first question, bringing in social preferences mm. and start spending, it's so easy to take the bait of society, yeah. so easy to fall into that <laughs> trap. I think it's, it's a great tool to proclaim the gospel, to help spread the gospel. And but other than that, it's it's a slippery slope because of the social preferences and the uh, racial uh, bias that is in the congregation. And it, it, it starts with the leadership to say that it's a great tool, but you have to speak the truth in love. We have our different opinions, but as Christians, we have to keep Christ as the focus point of it. And one thing that we should not speak evil of the good of, 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 of the people, the Bible says, regardless of his trunk or Obama, wherever the president will not to, uh, we can disagree with their policies, but when we start attacking them, the person personally, we have stepped out, we have stepped out of the gospel realm. Thank you, Gary. Just, just one, one, one little thing too that, whatever it's worth, one of the things we've, I've said to our staff too. One of the things, it's like, it's like emails. Um, when you put something on social media or, or even in an email, you always have to remember, people can't read your body language. They, they can't hear the tone with which you're saying that. You could, and so one of the things we've, we sought to do when some of our staff or even myself get a zinger of an email or this kind of thing, I tell them, if at all possible, uh, call the person. Don't, and then, then follow up with an email. Because it's, it's inflammatory, and normally, normally when you call someone, once they've done it, they, they sort of like roll it way back. And, uh, uh, but we need to, communication, you need to understand that it's not just what you want to say, it's how what you say is being heard. And that's the way you have to think about this. And this, this silliness, and, and uh, I know I'm soapboxing here, but uh, it, you can't follow the model that's in Washington right now of tweeting out and, and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, at a certain point, this stuff gets to be sophomoric. And, uh, and I think as Christians, we're better than that. We're actually better than that, so. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, there's so many platforms now. I remember when I became a youth pastor in Louisiana, um, I was told that Facebook was obsolete. It is. Parents, I'm sorry if you, you're just now catching up to that. We're way past Facebook now. Uh, it's Instagram now. Snapchat. You want to be hip with the kids. 
um, that just told me how old I am saying hip, but I think there's a lot of people, you say Twitter now, I think Twitter, um, I think I have all three, I don't use some more, use some more than others, um, and I'm glad that Crawford did acknowledge, um, as I believe you all have, that it's a double-edged sword. Um, I know a lot of people that say, you know, out with all social media, um, a lot of times that's, that's a cutting off of the hand, um, and that's good. I do not agree with those who believe that it's all... We, we organized and, and publicized this event mainly by social media. Um, a lot of you didn't even know or would not be here without, with, without Facebook. So God has used it as a tool, um, but like so many man-made things, it's, um, it can be for good or for ill. I want to skip to the fourth and final question. Uh, we're actually doing good. Last year, I think Leonce uh, took us for about an hour and we went overboard. Number four, if you had to give church leaders one piece of advice concerning the issue of race in Georgia, what would it be and why? Actually, Lee, let's start with you, my brother. Put you on the spot. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm going to take a little liberty and divide one piece into two. Um, so the, the first thing to me really is identity. Yeah. What are we rooted in as believers and as churches? And are we teaching identity properly? And not only are we teaching identity properly, are we truly living as people whose citizenship is not in this world? Yeah. And certainly that is, that is a process of sanctification throughout the believer's life. But until we answer that question, until we get that right, it's really hard to talk about any divisive issue, race, society, political, whatever it may be. Until we get identity correct and until we truly see ourselves as those who are in this world but who are citizens of the kingdom of God and live that way, we're going to struggle with these issues. Um, and the second thing that, that comes to mind is genuine conversation. Yes. The point that, that Crawford made when he was talking is exactly right. I, I remember growing up, and to be entirely transparent, I didn't have a single meaningful relationship with someone who was not white. And in that context, it's really easy for hatred and racism to creep in. And it wasn't until I actually was willing to sit across the table from someone who was different than me, racially, socially, politically, and have genuine conversation and genuine discourse and build genuine relationship that those walls started to erode. It's, to Crawford's point, it's really easy to hate that which you do not know and that that you do not understand. Yeah. But when, when, when terms like black or liberal or Hispanic, when those terms have faces in your mind, it completely changes the dynamics by which you operate. Yeah. Well said, brother. Yes. All about relationships. I, I will say, um, I think that a lot of times the issue, the conversations about race, that we really need to encourage people to. Mm. No one takes to being called a racist. Mm -mm. I have yet to find one self-identifying racist. I, I've yet to find one. Um, but people tend to see their own sin with a little kindness, um, when they know that you care about them, they're willing yeah. to have those hard conversations generally yeah. more than when you come at them with a bat. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think kindness is um, yeah. is important. Uh, Gary, do you have anything to add? Uh, add to that is that the question is to the leaders, you know, same thing that Paul says that uh, leaders, you know what God has said. It's like Peter, you know what the word says. It's not a matter of theology or getting correct in that area. You are more influenced by your constituents and uh, peer pressure and people in your congregation. Are you going to obey the gospel and do what Jesus said or are you going to uh, be man, man pleasers? Uh, well, I was speaking uh, from the African-American uh, perspective, well, turn out really uh, care for that West Coast. I've been in Africa and they say we're not Africans, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway, the point is that the, the speech of it is we have to let go of the past. That's not a white person living that they had anything to do with slavery. Okay, that's not a black person today that was a slave. And yes, it's history, and, and we should always uh, not try to whitewash it, but the gospel is bigger than that. Yeah. We have to do what Jesus said, what, what Paul was telling um, Peter, you're not walking up right because the pastor, the leadership, has such an influence on the people, that's where the change is going to come. Because like priests, like people, like people like priests, they're going to follow that lead that has such an influence. But sometimes in the congregations, and when we get away from assemblies like this, when we're standing around the, the water cooler, as it were, things come up yeah. from the past, and no one corrects it. And we know it's said wrong. These person like uh, the brother said when he had the car incident. Some people would have took that to a whole different level. I ain't even about to talk me out like that. I started to. <laughs> but, but, but then the answer we gave to answer the Holy Spirit said. So the leadership, we, we have to start correcting people in their track. If they leave the church, we don't want them to leave, but they leave, so be it. But we have to start right there that this is wrong. And if it comes down just to wherever God wants to be after the church at last, I will say this is that uh, I went to a persecuted church in Saudi Arabia, mm. and it was, these questions never came up, because you just want to increase, I don't care if they blue, green, or yellow. You just want to increase the hope of the gospel. It's value once again. And but, yeah, so that, I, I just leave you with this word. When we see the value of God's value, and then start acting upon it, and start correcting people, and checking people, then we see a change. But until then, I think we're just spending our will not for us here, but just giving lip service. We've got to start saying to people that this is wrong, man, you're wrong. Like the sellout coming, black people. Well, you know, you're selling out your uncle Tom. We gotta stop, we gotta stop, we gotta, we gotta correct yeah. people. Can I add just one one thought on the, the, the white side of the card, if you will? We I know there's a certain temptation as a white person to hear that and be dismissive of history. The comment he just made, the comments he just made are true, but that doesn't mean that we can be ignorant of society and of history. And too many of us, quite frankly, are. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. We are very ignorant of history, and that's not okay. You You can't 
can't engage with someone if you're completely, completely ignorant of where they've come from, what history is, the context from which they lived. It doesn't, it just doesn't work. True relationship doesn't work that way. Yeah. You're taking my sermon now, so. <laughs> you know, I say a couple of things. This is, this is just, just really all excellent stuff. Uh, I think as a leader, as leaders, the very definition of biblical leadership is this, and uh, you've got to be the portrait of the desired destination. And as a leader, I can't ask my people to become anything that I'm not pursuing. So it's the integrity side of the deal there. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what leader, leadership is all about. And uh, I think, you know, so it begins right there. It begins with, and then secondly, it implies courage. You know, one of the lessons in leadership I've learned all these years is this. Um, I will never be effective as a leader if I'm afraid of the people that I'm leading. I, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's just not, not that you're unkind, you need to be kind, and not, not that you're bombastic. You know, I'm not saying that at all. But you, the, the nature of leadership means that you, there are times in which you have to be at a different place where everybody else is, and you feel the heat and the tension of that, but that's part of your calling. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta incarnate where things need to be, which means, thirdly, I need to be building relationships. None of us as leaders, we're not the fourth members of the Trinity. We, you know, I mean, we're, we're just as screwed up as other people. We're, 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 we're shepherds, but we're sheep at the same time. And, but so I, I, leaders need to develop wholesome relationships across ethnic lines. We have to do that. And, uh, and at the end of the day, the proof of my leadership, we're going to be held accountable to God for the stewardship of what he's called us to be and not the approval of the people around us. And I think that, that decision needs to be made. Now, there's a little scud missile here. Let me, you know, um, and I think we need to be careful of, of uh, we throw that word racist around too frequently. We need to be careful of that. Just because someone uh, uh, has some conclusions about race that, that represent uh, biases does not necessarily make that person a racist. They could just lack information. Thank you for saying that. They can just lack information. And I think there's a lot of this false guilt that polarizes us. We need to be moving toward people and engage with people and, and quit demonizing people who differ. Um, you know, uh, in our church, we have a, a huge number of people who, su who supported and voted for Donald Trump. And, and, and my, my deal there is that that's fine. That's absolutely fine. The issue there is, is that we ought to be mature enough in our body. We ought to be mature enough and love Jesus enough where we can disagree with one another without discarding each other. And that's, that's silly that we, 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 we get to a level where, where there is a fifth gospel. And, uh, and so, so I think we need to be mature enough, and, and leaders need to model that. We need to be mature enough uh, uh, to, to be able to, to tolerate and listen and discern that which is just peripheral from that which is core and lead the people by model and encouraged to where they need to be. And, and the last thing I need to say about leaders is this. 
I think there needs to be more courage in our preaching. And I don't necessarily mean you don't beat people up. I'm not talking about that. But we need to preach the truth of God's word. And this is an argument for authentic exposition of scripture. Because if, you, if you're preaching through the word of God, you're going to come across stuff that you can't skirt. And you have to say it with courage. And uh, so you asked for one thing. I, asked, I gave you no, 12. That's, that's, so. Brother, thank you for coming. Yeah, I mean, well, thank yeah. you, Gary, and thank you, Lee. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially, Crawford, thank you for coming. Uh, I know you don't venture this part of Atlanta very often, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by your wisdom, brother, and your uh, willingness to come and uh, talk about such a sensitive issue. I'm glad you made the distinction about racism and bias. Uh, we do. We just throw that word around. We yeah. label people. Yeah. We stereotype people. Um, just because someone is ignorant doesn't make them a fire-breathing bigot. Right. Um, and I'm glad you made that uh, distinction because um, I, I think we are so reactionary, we get so offended, and then names get thrown around. Uh, that's one thing Leon's Crump uh, last year, I really appreciated that he, he took us through making that distinction between racism and, and prejudice. Um, he, uh, he particularly, and I'm not saying this is maybe the universal definition, but Leon's really made the distinction with racism, believing that you are in some sense superior, uh, whereas prejudice, prejudicial uh, bias it, it, it is um, preferential treatment of, not necessarily believing that you bear an image more than, than blacks or whites do. Um, and so I, I appreciated that as well, because I feel like the way we talk about race is so important. Um, our people, leaders, are going to absorb what the world has to say because they go there for the newspaper and the news. But they're listening to us as well. Uh, in the Bible, part of this conference, the very reason we have this conference is because the Bible has just as much and more to say. Um, and if we're speaking the language of the Bible, we don't have to reinvent the wheel with race. The Bible says everything we need it to. Um, and thank you for, uh, once again, Crawford, lending your wisdom. Gary, thank you. Lee, thank you. as always. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we end this session. Father, this is, who is sufficient for these things? We are only sufficient because we now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is our hope, that is our peace, that is our joy. Father, that's our fuel as we go forth and speak courageously into an unbelieving world. We have the greatest news on earth. We fight from victory. And Father, that should change our message radically. We are not bitter. We are not complainers. We're not bemoaning the way the world is. We know why the world is the way it is, and we know that one day it will not be as it is. Father, let us project to the world the way we know that things will end with a marriage between Christ and his bride. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name, amen.